Welcome back to another episode of Agile Way podcast, where we explore challenges organizations face on their Agile journey. How to become great Scrum Master, how to change your leadership style, or how to embrace agility at the organization level. I'm Suzy Shukova, Agile coach, certified Scrum trainer, and author of the great Scrum Master book and Agile leader book, and I'm your host for this podcast. I'm passionate about business agility, organizational culture, and Agile leadership, and that was the reason why I decided to start this podcast, to share with you my experiences and stories from my Agile journey. everyone. Today I have a pleasure to have here my dear friend Marsha Aker. Past few years I had the pleasure to work with Marsha supporting the facilitators team on Business Agility Conference and working together was a very pleasant and inspirational experience. So I miss her specifically around this time of the year where we would normally be both in New York at the conference. Marsha kept herself busy last year And she recently published a book called The Art and Science of Facilitation, which very soon became my most favorite book on facilitation topic. So let's hear a bit about that. So can you share a little bit with us on what makes you write this book? Well, it's lovely to see you first. And yes, we would we would normally, um, about this time of year, be uh, thinking and talking and celebrating facilitation at the Business Agility Conference. I, you know... I guess the book, like what had me write it, the book has probably been years in the making, um, uh, the last five years sort of actively um, thinking and writing and working on it. And it's had many evolutions. But I I came to facilitation fairly early on in my career. I had I was I often say I was trained as a software engineer and I came into the work world and one of the first things that I was passionate about was bridging conversations. I, I, I don't think I would have used those words back then, but, but really focusing on the conversations and how they either propel people forward or hold people back. And I came to um, learn facilitation really early on because I don't think that anybody really taught me in that engineering degree how to work with others. And the, it's the, those human dynamic skills, um, interpersonal skills, and actually I think what's at the heart of agility. So I've, you know, I've been a practitioner of facilitation and coaching competencies for years now. And I think there are lots of tools and books out there about how to do facilitation. But I didn't, one of the things that I've felt for quite some time is that we were missing the conversation about how to be a facilitator and um, the, the inner work that comes, the inner mindset work that comes around what do you need to think and believe, what's helpful in that space in order to have effective conversations. Because I think facilitation can, like a trap of it, can be that you get very caught up in the tools like dot voting and sticky notes and and those are really helpful but there's 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 a bit more to it there's that that art and science i think so i wanted to you know i wanted a book i you know as i thought about the vision for like what could i put out and contribute to the space i imagined something that would be small enough and light enough that people could carry it around in their 
um, backpacks. Now, imagine, as I envisioned that we were actually carrying backpacks around, and right now the backpacks just stay, <laughs> if you're like mine, mine's over there in the closet, uh, and it's got dust on it because it's not been out in over 13 or 14 months. But, um, but you know, that it would be this guide that you could carry with you with uh, a set of, like, practices and thinking around you know, when I'm walking, you know, if I think about walking into a room, I'm getting ready to walk into a room, and like, what what would be helpful for me at this moment, you know, to to open it up and go, ah, that, like, that would be helpful to think about today. And so, so yeah, I wanted it to be a contribution in the sense of, you know, who's the, what's the being part of being a facilitator. So you mentioned a technical background, right? So yeah. was it difficult to shift towards coaching and facilitation being a technical? It was difficult for me, at least. Yeah. So can you share I, a little thoughts about that? It was a it was a slow progression for me. It you know it I spent the first five years really um, in a more technical space, and and I transitioned to a startup company where we were. That actually forced me to, out of the comfort zone of, you know, in startups, you don't, there are, you don't have one job, you have many, many jobs. And I think that forced me into thinking higher and more strategically about what was happening. And um, I left the startup and went off to work with a, a change management company. And I was part of a large, I was facilitating actually a really large scale change inside an organization. I'm working with a leadership team at that time. And I, one of the epiphanies that I think I had in that project was watching the leadership team really struggle with this concept of they were, they were making large scale change. They were, um, they had headquarters with lots of remote offices and they were the change was going to take them from being a geographically distributed organization to having functions rather than geographies. And so it, that was going to require people to pick up and move their families if they wanted to keep their job, or if they wanted to stay in their geographical location, they were going to have to, to stay and, and change you know, jobs and skill sets. And so it was a it was such a massive change, and I watched the leadership team really struggle with it. It was in that moment of sort of being with them through that, it was about a year-long process, and I thought, wow, like it's, this isn't just about process and workflow and things like that. It would really help to have coaching. And I, that was my moment of, yeah, so facilitation's great, process improvement and you know, paying attention to scale and how we do things, all relevant. And yet there was so much of that human component, um, watching the executives really battle with, you know, what's the best decision for this system, you know, and making that business decision and then how does it impact me personally. And so I just, I remember leaving that project going, coaching is really important to change. And that was, that was actually the moment where I began to dip my toe into that space of like, you know, how, how, might, how might coaching skills, you know, combined with facilitation really be impactful to change? So one of the questions which I often get is like, what is this facilitation about? So can yeah. you give us your explanation about that? <laughs> you know, I think um, that question is, points to this thing where I think it's the most undervalued, underutilized 
skill. And, and here, I think here's why, because if you're in a place where you, there's good facilitation, meaning that you're in the flow and you as a participant are feeling engaged and you're contributing, chances are you're probably oblivious. I mean, if, if it's done well, you're sort of oblivious to whoever's facilitating because it's not about them. It's like you're in the flow with other participants and you feel like you're creating outcomes and you feel like your voice is heard and you're energized and invested in the content. And so, gosh, you're really in it. And, it, and unless you're trained to sort of see it and understand group dynamics and what's happening, you probably think that person's doing nothing. And if you're in a meeting where you, if you have the opposite, where you're not getting anything done, you don't feel heard, you feel like you'd rather check your email or work on something else than to be, you know, sitting in that space, I, you know, I think then you feel the absence of it. But I think it's hard to identify, you know, what's that person doing that makes, makes it so effective. So I think it's really we just don't talk about it a lot. You know, I, if you talk, um, sometimes I have conversations with uh, executives or people in HR and they're like, well, you know, our, our people lead meetings all day long. Why, why in the world would we need to help people lead meetings better? Like we do it all day, right? So I think we do it all day, but we don't do it that well. Right? <laughs> Show me one person who likes meetings. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. This, this disconnect, right? Yeah. So what was the um, learning you got on your journey? I don't think you were born up, no one is born up a facil great facilitator, right? Yeah. So you must do a lot of mistakes. So can you tell us something about those mistakes? And you know, what did you learn mm. from those? And yeah. how can we maybe start, right? Yeah. I, you know, in the book, I did a lot of contrasting. I, I spent time really reflecting on like when when I first learned facilitation and what my facilitation was like then versus how it is now. And, you know, early days, it was very um, process oriented. I often say, I think one of my, if you were with me in the early days, you probably came in and there was an agenda and man, did we stick to the agenda. It was, you know, item one, item two. Uh, if you had something else to say, that's fantastic. If you could please put that in the parking lot because I've got an agenda here and we're going to keep moving. So I would imagine maybe, you know, what somebody would say <laughs> felt very structured. Um, I think I even used to refer to it as, you know, a very uh, structured outcome oriented sort of facilitation style. And, um, it, you know, over time, I can't tell you the exact moment when that when realization hit me that I probably was overly driving content. But my facilitation journey, I think the place where I've learned the most is learning to be with conflict and difference of opinion in the room. So there was um, a moment um, very early on in some of my first facilitation that I did where I had jumped into facilitating. I was working with the Department of Defense here in the U.S. and I was facilitating meetings with all five services at the time, so Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine Corps, all of whom have, you know, share a common mission around protection and service and who also share, you know, very uh, staunch beliefs in their, you know, in each service about, you know, how each of them are different and unique and um, have their own way of operating. When what we were trying to do at the time was bring them together in a joint system and standardize the way they reported on 
you know, readiness. And that's not necessarily um, a particular outcome that they individually wanted. So I felt like I jumped into the deep end of that pool pretty quickly, trying to be in a room and, you know, and bring people together. And there were political differences and there were also individual differences and in opinions. And so one of the things that would happen quite, quite frequently would be that there would be disagreement in the room. Um, and I, you know, early on I had, I, I remember my pulse would pick up, probably my face would, would get red and all kinds of things would happen as disagreements happen. I used to facilitate on my own back then, which I, I do way more co-facilitation now um, than I do solo facilitation for, for good reason. <laughs> but there's, you know, you've got 35 or 40 people in the room, it's just you, and now, and now there's like a heated debate or an argument, and there were moments where I just wanted the floor to open up. Um, and to disappear. So I, I think learning over time that those, set, you know, what would happen in those meetings is we kept, we kept coming back to the same thing over and over again, or decisions would have to be made sort of outside the meetings and then, you know, be presented back to the group. And if I could go back to that facilitator self and be like, hey, <laughs> One of the reasons <laughs> that this isn't going so well, it's not that I don't think that they would have said it was not going well, but what I could say now is that the conversation and the decision making wasn't moving along as, as well and as solidly as I think it could have. Um, but part of that has been my own work to do around becoming comfortable with disagreement and people raising their voices in a room. And shifting it from a perspective of, I, I mean, I used to manage that stuff right on out of the room. Like, uh, if it came up, it was definitely time for a coffee break or a bathroom break or like need, need everybody to get up and shift out of the room. And, you know, what I know now is like when that happens in the room, I'm like, oh, well, finally, you know, I, cause I, I know that it's there. I know there are differing points of view. Um, sometimes in some groups, it's harder to get it to come to the surface. So I actually, I now see my job as like one of the jobs is to surface what's there um, and hear different points of view. And that if we're, if we're, everybody's in so much of agreement, then chances are something's not working. So that's all very interesting. Thank you for sharing. So what caught my eye was that you mentioned co-facilitation. What would you recommend us to start with it? Um, co-facilitation is definitely a skill in and of itself. I, you know, um, I think so much. So, Zuzi, you and I have done it. You know, we, um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, maybe we could talk a little bit about how we did it because we were, um, you know, tasked with thinking about a conference and pulling together facilitators of facilitators. So we, you know, we had a, a large group of facilitators we were bringing together and like in some ways there was the, you and I did some co-design and dreaming about what we wanted to create in the room. And, and then we brought the other facilitators in and we collectively did some dreaming about that. But with some people it feels so simple and with some other mm. people it feels like um, that other person is doing such a great job. It just doesn't feel, and I don't know. So yeah. how to bring along somebody who you don't know? And we did it. It went really smooth. The first mm. time I hear we're going to do something together, I was like, I don't know her. What shall I do? Yeah. Ah, I yeah. Think, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, so when you and I, um, 
when you and I first connected, I think for me, because I, I had that, I mean, I, I would have, I have that with anybody, you know, I, if I've never met them and we're going to work together, it's, it's like, well, I don't, I don't know how that's going to go. I think, yeah, <laughs> I think for me right now, there's, um, I'm, I'm always looking in that initial conversation of how much is this going to be a, a partnership? Like we're going to be able to do something co together, co-equal, and how much of it's going to be one particular person being really fixed on on something like needing to go a certain way? And I think that in the, there are things, you and I had some conversations about, actually we had a conversation about how we weren't going to be fixed about it needing to look and be a certain way. Um, but I do think that in my experience, one of the stumbling blocks can be when when one or more of the individuals is holding really tightly to something. So I'm always listening for how much is, uh, you know, is there a give and a take and a, and a dance, I guess, is maybe the metaphor of being able to build off of one another. And I mean, there are also going to be times, I think, in any co-relationship where you step on somebody's toes. So what's it like when someone steps on your toes? Can you can you work with it and be like, oh, it was fine, or you know, do you do you say, ouch, that hurt, and and it becomes, you know, really frustrating. So, I also I'm looking for a given sort of, Yeah, I also feel it sort of correlates with a self confidence uh, mm. of each other person. So if they are at a similar level, they can yeah. hang along pretty nicely. But if they are sort of disconnected on that level, then it's yeah. a trouble because you don't even understand what those people are asking for and then mm. don't know what to do. So going back to your book, right? Yeah. So um, you wrote it out of passion because you want to promote uh, this facilitation, raise the awareness about it and uh, all those things. So what's the key message? If you should digest it into a short uh, sort of story, mm. what is it? I am... Um... If you want to change culture and you want to improve what you're getting, I think facilitation is a competency to develop. I think there's, you know, there, we talk about culture a lot and change, and there's lots of, I mean, gosh, there's probably thousands of ways and models to look at it. I don't think there's any one way to get to get at um, changing culture, increasing collaboration. You know. I think the first three words in the Agile Manifesto were individuals and interactions. And yet that, that's where, for me, that's where the crux of everything resides is individuals and interactions. Like how well does that go or how, where does that get stuck? And so, yeah, I think the, the nugget of the book is, you know, how do you focus on individuals and interactions? How do you build relationships and how do you create space for people to have conversations with one another in a really effective manner. And, and I think it's the, you know, conversation and behavior, you know, highly tied to one another. So. Hmm. Facilitation, coaching, what's the difference? Do you mix them together? Do you separate them in your head, right? Like yeah. How do you use them? That's a great question. I, somewhere along the way, I do think that facilitation and coaching get um, glopped together a bit. So that was, um, I came, obviously, I, well, maybe not obviously, but I came to facilitation really early on in my career. So I got trained as a facilitator in 94. 
um, I came to professional coaching much later after the, the working with the organization I was telling you about. So one of the things that I, I spent probably three years on my own kind of quest of sorting out for myself, like what is this difference between facilitation and coaching and particularly coaching a team? Because team coaching is a relatively, you know, even in the professional coaching world, that's a relatively new competency. The International Coach Federation just, just a few months ago um, finally released you know, a standard set of competencies around it. So it's definitely been an emerging field. And so for me, um, the way I have come to look at and distinguish between facilitation and team coaching, in facilitation I am, you know, there's a, there's a purpose, there's a, an agenda for the group that they want to get to, and there's some outcome that I am facilitating towards. And often that outcome, I, you know, finds itself in, you know, we want to reflect on our work and find a couple of actions that we're going to take to move forward or we're planning and we need, you know, what are the goals for the next quarter or what are the next goals for the sprint. And so there, there's an outcome and as a facilitator, I'm watching group dynamics and I'm paying attention to it, but I'm also focused on we're, we're here for a purpose and it's helpful to note dynamics that might be happening and that might have me adjust what I'm doing from a process perspective, but I'm still very outcome focused. And if I put a sort of a team, you know, coaching hat on or working with a group, then my um, my gaze shifts from I actually fall back and sort of let the team own their process and, you know, the outcome that they're trying to achieve in that conversation. And I really begin to look at the inner dynamics of what's happening in the group. Like, what's the energy there? What's the What are the patterns of conversation? Who speaks and then who speaks after them? And what's the, I do, I work a lot with looking at the structure of that conversation and where are people hesitating or holding back or where do people fall into this, the group, you know, falls into a pattern of, you know, making, putting lots of things on the table and not able to move forward. And so for me then, the, my focus is on helping them see what's happening in their conversation that might be impacting the thing that they're getting. But, but my, so for me, the difference is my gaze and, and the design, I, I, um, I definitely have walked this rope of um, contracting, you know, not the legal statement of work contract, but contracting with a team uh, to do facilitation, saying, I'm, you know, I'm here to facilitate, this is what we're going to do. And contracting to facilitate, for me, looks really different than contracting to coach a team. And um, I contracted to facilitate. And then what emerged in the room was lots of interpersonal dynamics. And I have the value of working with what shows up, but what I, what I would say about that is I, I worked with it, and then I felt like things that were being raised were really outside the container that we had designed. And so that was another moment where I got really clear about, gosh, there was a, there was a moment that I missed there to go back in the room in the moment and be like, Let's, you know, let's, I kept working with it. And what I really needed to do was stop and say, this is a different space. And I'm going to show up differently in order to keep this conversation going if this is where you want to go. Or otherwise, we need to go back to, you know, doing what we had on the agenda. So what would, you know, what would be most useful? If I had it to do over again, that would be the thing that I would do. I think in the end, it turned out okay, but it's not one of my, it's not one of my finer moments. 
Yeah, interesting. So you've been working with many organizations on your journey, right? So what is, can you share some story which uh, where your facilitation really helped them? Like, so we can have something tangible, right? Like a mm. success story. Mm. I'm actually, um, I've been working with a team this week, so I'm fresh off of it. And it's, um, uh, so I guess it's, it's the thing that comes to mind for me the most. Um, you know, and it's it's been in this room at World. So I've, you know, for a while, I love being in the room with people. And I definitely have had a bias for a number of years about, you know, facilitating and team coaching and, you know, face-to-face -face in the space. And I, about 2015 or 2016, I really went to work on my own story around that and, and took a deeper dive into working remotely. So 2020 has definitely amped up my Online, online facilitation skills, but I, but I feel like I had done some of my own mindset work on that, you know, previously, which has helped greatly over the past year. But in this particular team, I guess success-wise, um, I can have, you know, from a, I was definitely in the space of facilitating more this week, maybe a little bit of team coaching, but not that much. This particular group was really looking, spending time looking at um, what is the, you know, the post-COVID world going to look like and, and how do we tackle that? And my, I still have this tendency, I mean, it's, it's there, right? How can I be of value? How can I um, help, you know, what would the agenda look like? And I've taken this year to, one of the things that I love about this remote world is I will stretch meetings out over multiple days. And so, blocks of time each day, which allows people to have a deeper conversation about something and then go away and think about it and percolate and sleep and then come back in the next day with new insights. And so what I'm noticing is that cadence, actually, I've worked with this team for a while, it has allowed them to move more quickly through uh, things that I, you know, they would get hung up about um, previously. So that has worked really well. The other thing that I have this, this um, friction around doing is, is packing an agenda. <laughs> and uh, so one of the things that I did this week is I unpacked the agenda and I just, um, we had one question per day because uh, I will, I will do um, agendas in question format. So the they had one question per day that we were looking at. We were meeting just for two hours. And um, very, very light on facilitation process. Uh, and I wanted them to have some time individually, but this is also you know, tech space, right? So um, leaders and executives in tech space wanna, wanna spend um, a half a millisecond talking about the, you know, the dreamy future state. And the rest, 99% of the rest of the time, they want to spend in concrete, detailed action. So what I'm celebrating today is that this team has um, allowed themselves to actually stay in the dreamy space for three days <laughs> out of, so it was, um, and the benefit that they got was, you know, we, we talk about this concept of shared vision and creating a shared vision. And they, look, you know, talk about complexity. I don't know that anybody really knows what the future 
will look like. Everybody is much like last year at this time. We were all figuring it out together, you know, step by step. That happened really fast. It was like somebody flipped a switch and, and everyone was scrambling. Um, you know, a transition back to, you know, to transition to some new state. I should, we should probably start saying back to, but a transition to a new state I think will happen slower. And it is this space of, it's a, I think it's a really great example of the question of what is it going to look like? And people want answers. And there's some of the answers just aren't to be had yet. They're, it's going to require experiments. And people are going to have to figure it out. And they're going to have to do small things and test and see how it works. But what they did this week um, was they created values and guiding principles. And, and they were willing, <laughs> they were willing by the end, not at the beginning, but they were willing by the end to say, OK, so you know, we might not know, but we'll let these guide our decisions and we'll, we'll check in. What would you say was the key to make it work? This, you know, fresh off of working with um, this team this week, one of the things that I think worked really well about the design is um, meeting. It's one of the things that I love about this online world is that we can meet for small blocks of time, you know, an offsite to, to haul everybody offsite and take them away for two days. It's, it's concentrated and yes, it has some benefits, but I watched, you know, this particular team be able to move through some pretty um, weighty and difficult conversations in a, in a nice flow because they had this away time and they could, you know, they could meet and talk about it in the morning, um, soak on it overnight and then come back refreshed. And it was sort of the first thing on their plate the next day. And so that cadence I found this year to work really, really well. And the other thing, you know, technologist, especially um, technologists in executive positions can, no, I don't want to stereotype, but can definitely want to, you know, spend about 5% of their time in a dreamy space and 95% of the time in the get it done space. And they, you know, really allowed themselves to kind of stay in that dreamy space. And the benefit that they got out of that is this question that they're they're pondering, which many uh, executive teams are these days, is what does post-COVID look like? What does it look like to transition into a new, you know, we're, we're coming out of one phase of it and transitioning into another. And what does that look like in the world of work? And so there are many questions that staff have, that um, partners have, that stakeholders have, and, and it's one of those adaptive leadership challenges, right? So we don't, it's complex. There's so much that uh, they don't know, and many of us don't know, and much like last year, we're going to figure it out as we go. So what I loved about this notion of really spending time in the conversation of what does it mean? What, do, what are the things we want to value? And what are some guiding principles that we want to carry forward and, and to hang out in that dreamy space a little bit more? So anyways, that's that you know, there were, I think there were some principles of chunking it up and spreading it out over time and um, allowing them some deeper conversation. And for me on the facilitation side, like really light design, I, I just didn't, there weren't a lot of mechanics or things that we were going through. It was really focused on helping them have that conversation. So. I like what they said about the dreaming stage, right? 
I really mm. love it. But sometimes people, when I speak about it, they say like, I oh, know, dreaming, dreaming, dreaming. It's super uncomfortable. So what do you do yeah. with those type of people? Boy, this whole group was, <laughs> I, you know what? Um, there was, there was one voice, um, one of kind of the, the, lead, the more senior leaders in that space became the voice of let's try it. And that helped. Um, the other thing that I, I also kept doing was saying, we were, we're going to get there. Um, so I just kept telegraphing that I, if I promise that we'll get there before you're done this week, uh, will you stay here a little bit longer for the sake of that going, you know, a little bit faster? So, so those are some of the ways that I do that is, you know, just telegraphing a bit about, and it's okay. Like I, you know, I get that this can feel a little different. Is there a difference for you to facilitate a team level conversation or a group of executives? Do you approach it differently or are you facilitating it differently or is that pretty much the same? I don't, I, you know, I suppose there are maybe some, um, there might be some different things that I'm paying attention to, or I often try to set context um, in the language of the people that I'm, you know, in front of. And so setting context for an executive team and bringing in examples that are relevant for them. Yes, those kinds of examples look different than, you know, what you do with a development team. But if I boil it down, I mean, I, I used to, if we, you know, back in the room um, in those days, I used to have people all the time say, well, I could never I could never ask my executive team to stand up and move around the room or give them colored markers or, you know, give them trinkets or whatever. And I haven't had that hang up because I believe in them. And I believe that they have a purpose and a, they're part of a process. They're part of something that I'm going for. And so I just don't blink. <laughs> and I don't ask permission for it either. Like I, I don't say, would you like to get up and move around today? Um, I just say, we're going to, we're going to do it. And if, and if anybody sort of resists or push back, I just, I let them do it and do what they want to do on their own. But So how do you overcome resistance? Like the hard resistance, I'm not going to do that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, so I can think of a time where I had somebody really resisting and um, didn't want to do anything that we were doing. And I just said, that's that's great. So you don't have to. And uh, what did the others think? And everybody else wanted to do it. So we continued and that individual um, stepped off to the side. Now, what was interesting is about 10 minutes later, the person decided they wanted to come and play. So I have a last sort of visionary future thinking question for you. I try to ask, originally I tried to ask everybody the same question, but then I realized it doesn't fit to the conversation. So I tried to tweak it a little bit. Mm. So for you, that sounds, uh, where do you see the future of leadership? Mm. I have talked a lot lately about, I think leadership is um, a conversation or it plays out in, in a conversation. I think if you want it to look at um, the way people lead, the way they interact with one another, and by the way, I, I would define, we, we all have leadership, you and I are leading uh, in our own ways in this moment right now. So I don't think of it as a role, but 
I think leadership is a conversation and the more we can get skillful and aware and intentional about how we show up, how we create relationship with one another, how we engage in conversations. I mean, think about every, look at your calendar, think about everything that you do every day and how much of it is focused around talking with people, um, engaging with others, asking people to do things, um, helping people take, you know, action, be empowered, take inspired action. I think all of those things lead us back to this notion of we are, I don't believe the world is going to um, retrench back to what it looked like pre-COVID. There, you know, there's something about a pandemic that has been a massive, if you think about it in terms of you know, systems work and, and teamwork, it has been a massive intervention in how we meet and work together and think and talk and travel and all of that. So, so the real question I think that everybody's beginning to look at right now is what does that future look like? And, you know, to your question about, you know, what does the future look like around facilitation? I think it's a key, I think it is such a key skill and there is science behind how we can be more inclusive in conversation and how we can hear more voices and be, um, be inclusive in how we invite people into conversations. I don't think meetings have to be drudgery. As a matter of fact, I, gosh, my, my dream is for a day where meetings are fun and engaging and you show up because you feel heard and it, you feel like it was a, you, you, there was nothing else better that you could have done for that hour. Like you feel like it, moved the ball forward on something that you really care about. Like if that were the world of meetings and we certainly, this, this blended concept of being online and being in the room and having you know, various ways of communicating with people, I think all of that is not gonna change. I think it's gonna get more complex. Um, we've, in some ways, I think 2020 has made some of that conversation a little bit easier because I can, I can hop on this and talk to you in a different country, in different time zones. We can run training in different time zones. So I think what will be more complex than what we're facing right now is what is the, what is the blended world look like? In a summary, it's not that much about doing facilitation, but being a facilitator. What that means is that facilitation is not that much about tools and practices, but understanding how to work with others, develop human dynamic skills and interpersonal skills. Facilitation is not just about process and workflow. Coaching and facilitation is really important to change the organizations. Be in the room and bring people together. Become comfortable with disagreements. Our job is to surface that. Hear different points of view, because maybe if everyone is in a such agreement, the chances are that sometimes it is not working that well. So if you want to change the culture and you want to improve what you're getting, facilitation is the key competence that allows people to have a conversation with one another. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Agile Way podcast hosted by Zuzi Shukovana, author of the Great Scrum Master book and Agile Leader book. If you love listening to this podcast, please leave us a review. If there is any topic you are particularly interested in and would like to hear another episode on it, let me know. 
For more information about me and my Agile classes, visit our website sochova.com, S-O-C-H-O-V-A.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you.